people or information, God. We need to connect with hearts. We need your heart, Father God. So I pray it would just fade out and your word would go forth. And I pray even this morning, God, I could be talking about anything, God, but you would speak to your people, that they would hear from you this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your perfect name we pray. Amen and amen. So as I was preparing for this Father's Day, I was really excited because I, I, I had written this message um, called Singing in the Cave about David, you know, on the run from Saul and he gets in the cave. He's like a fugitive and he's hiding out in the cave and God brings all these despondent in debt, discouraged, all these guys to join him, 400 of them in the cave. And I'm thinking, gosh, if I was already in a troubling situation and then God brought me 400 messed up people, I'd be pretty bummed. But the bottom line of the message, because I'm not sharing that message, is that, (laughs) see, God just intersects. He has other things he wants to do. And when you're a church that says God gets to do what he wants to do, you have to remain open to what he wants to do. But I had to tell you, because this message was exciting for me, but it's essentially he was in that cave and it was a real close to where he had defeated Goliath, like really close. So here he had had this great victory defeating Goliath and then was a short distance on the run hiding out in a cave. And it was the premise of my whole message was that, that God sees you as he's created you. So he always saw David crowned. God always saw David as a king. He didn't see him in his circumstances. He always had vision. So even when you don't have vision for your life, God sees you for that which he created you. So that was that message. Next. Then I wake up to prepare my notes um, for this morning. And I was going to send the scriptures to Stephen, who, by the way, inputs all of that and does that every week for us, in addition to having a family and a job. So I'm so grateful for your ministry, Stephen, to the house. And God sees you, and he knows you. Um, So I woke up to prepare the notes and send the scriptures to Stephen, and I knew it was a new day, and I knew God had a different message. So I want to say that there's not, I don't see many visitors this morning, but I do see people that haven't been here regularly, and we are a new church. Um, We are essentially birthed and launched um, nine months, about September, um, a new work. It's a church that has history. We have been other churches, but the rock took it over, and we have been here for since September. And we had our grand opening services then, and at that time, my husband and I were appointed the lead pastors here at that church, petrified, did not want to be in senior leadership ministry. We had been senior pastors, um, and it was not what I thought. I was ready to launch a life coaching business, had some clients lined up. My husband works in the business world. We didn't. It was not on our radar to come into taking over uh, a new work that God was doing. But we stepped foot into this place and became overwhelmed with the destiny of this church. Overwhelmed. And I'm telling you, I have not been the same since. You can ask my family, you can ask those around me, but the destiny of what God is going to do through the Rock South County is spectacular. I've never stewarded a reality of what God wants to do. It's not just a church, it's a move of God that he is bringing to this area. He's been very specific with me every time I get scared stiff about what he's going to do. He just keeps telling me, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. 
I'm going to be with you guys. I'm right there. I'm in the midst of this. I'm going to be with you. And it has been welling up in me in some days. The, the reality, if you've ever been there, uh, the reality of what you're seeing with your eyes and what you're sensing in your heart can be vastly different. But God's heart is just saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm doing something. And already in nine short months, God has brought uh, miracles he is restoring people. You talk to anyone in this congregation for a second service for more than five minutes, they will testify if you let them about what God is doing in the form of restoration. Julie McIntyre, who will be speaking next Sunday, you do not want to miss this woman of God, bring the word. Julie McIntyre called as a young woman, a youth to full-time ministry to preach the gospel and then spent 40 years not doing what God had called her to do. She has awoken. God has brought her and brought her destiny back on track. And this girl, you have seen nothing if you have not seen what God is going to do through this woman of God. And there are countless stories and so many of you that God is aligning to this place because the message today is the church that Jesus builds. You can write that in your notes. I'm going to be talking this morning about the church that Jesus builds. This church, um, I remember hearing Pastor Jack Hayford. I just have to tell you, you guys could be like people like Justin Bieber, and they think, I am Jack Hayford. I am a fan. I am like a fan for Jack Hayford. I print his notes. I have a membership to the Jack Hayford Library, and I frequent there. In fact, I couldn't print my notes the other day, and I called them. I don't think they've ever received a phone call. It was like some little office, and I said, hi, good morning, Emily. My name is Anna. I'm in California. I'm trying to print my regular notes to highlight and study Jack Hayford's notes, and there's some error. She goes, you're the first person that's told us. I'm like, am I the only one <laughs> frequenting the Jack Hayford library? Like, I mean, I just absorb what he says. He'll take, I'll print off his notes. It's like 29 pages to say like the most profound thing you will ever hear in your life. And I just sit in my study highlighting and my mind being blown. I remember him saying that he was just a few short months into pastoring the church on the way. There was 18 people in his congregation at that time, and they were having their kickoff Sunday. It was kickoff Sunday. The church is opening. 57 people showed up on kickoff Sunday. And this woman, this sweet woman comes up to him after service and says, Pastor Jack, I'm so sorry there weren't more people here to greet you on your opening Sunday. And he didn't know how to tell her that it was a huge success for them. That was their biggest Sunday yet. They were thrilled about those 57 people. Within a few short years of that Sunday, they were running five services and had over 1,000 people in active attendance. Jesus Christ says he will build his church. Jesus Christ says he will build his church. And this morning, I would like us to look at the context in which he said that and the background of when he said that. It begins in verse 13 of chapter 16 of the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there. It will also be up on the screens. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am, that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you 
say that I am. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples, tell no one that he was the Christ. Here it is. Jesus has called Oh, I'm sorry. He's building his church. He has this dozen men around him. He has gathered these men to talk. They had been out ministering two by two, and Jesus was off doing his own ministry. And he gathers the men back together. And he's kind of saying, like, you've been out in the fields and with the people. Who are people saying that I am? And so the guys are gathered around, and they're describing it. They're saying, well, where I was, they were saying you were like Jeremiah. And someone else is saying, well, where I was, they were saying Elijah or Elisha. And then where I was, someone even said John the Baptist, who by this time was dead, but they thought he, you know, John the Baptist comes back to life, and that's who Jesus is. And all of these things are okay. It's like I could imagine why Elijah and Elisha were miracle workers. So that could make sense that they could think, well, Jesus was that was them because Jesus was working miracles. Or Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a compassionate one. He was the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations. And Jesus was compassionate. And it says, you know how that famous verse, Jesus wept. And he was moved in compassion. He would look on the crowds. Oh, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. So it would seem okay that people would think, well, maybe he's Jeremiah because there are similarities. Or John the Baptist, who was really into social justice and telling people, the tax collectors, you shouldn't do this. And, and, and these people over there, you shouldn't do that. And he was preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So it would seem like, okay, they, people could think he was John the Baptist. This makes perfect, perfect sense. And he's up and away with his disciples. They go up to the, the coast. He calls them back together out after being outside ministering together, and he calls them to go and retreat together. You know, retreating is really powerful. So he's, they've been out ministering and pouring out, and then they're going away to get refreshed. I remember being a little girl, and every month um, my dad would take an overnight retreat. And he would, it wouldn't, it wouldn't cost him. He always made arrangements. He would either go to someone's home or um, we had friends in the hotel industry growing up in Palm Springs and he would go away. And I remember this vividly. It was like every month or every two months, if, if he wasn't able to go every month, he would steal away to an overnight to seek the Lord. He would have his journal. He would worship. And as a little girl, it was just became so ingrained that retreat was important. I remember when Joel and I stepped out of the ministry and laid our church down. We were an organization took us out to Palm Springs for three days. With a, there was a life coach there and a chef, and they just ministered to us because we had come out of six years of senior pastoring. We were in a transition, and we felt like we were we were good. But you sit in that area and you sit quiet. You know, they one of our assignments on retreat was to sit for three hours in silence. Do you know how long it took me just to deflect all the lies that would come into my mind? 
I had to sit there and a, a thought would come in. I said, that's not the truth. It took me hours just to empty myself of all the bombardment, of all the stuff that, that assaults you and comes at your mind and your heart. I sat there for two, two hours of it until I finally felt like I had, I had clarity and, and quietness. Retreat is powerful, and I would encourage you to make a habit, even if you have just a moment in the morning, but to sit in silence and, and consecrate some time to the Lord. So they're doing this. They're talking about this is right after Jesus had fed the 5,000, as Joel was talking about, right after in John 6 where it said Jesus had fed the 5,000 and people were really attracted to Jesus. People were really attracted to his ministry and the disciples and they were pursuing them and they wanted to be around them and they were wanting to see what's going on. But then he, he, does, he preaches a message that will scatter the crowds when he talks about you need to identify with me. I'm not just here for signs and wonders and miracles, but I'm here to have people identify with me as, as the living God, as the bread of life. So he preaches that message, and, and then he steals away after that great miracle of feeding all those people and preaching that he is the bread of life, and people need to identify with him. Now he's away with his, his crew, and they're sitting around. You can imagine them, and he's kind of like, guys, guys, like, who, what are people saying about me? Who are they saying that I am? And uh, Simon Peter answered him. And after they describe all that, that people were saying who he was, and I even thought this was interesting. After he does all these miracles, um, Jesus will say, now tell no one. You know how he would do that? Now he would heal like a, the leper and say, now don't tell anyone about this. And you're thinking, why wouldn't he want people to know? But if people, if the word of what he was doing would spread so fast, then he would be forced to leave places and not have ample time to minister because they would be so attractional that people would just get a word about what was going on and pursue him. And then also inevitably it would have forced more rapidly his, his death. Because word would have gotten out, the people would be after him, and it would have it would have amped up the timeliness of Christ going to the cross. So his 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 desire was that they wouldn't talk about it, which I think is so interesting. But after he was crucified, now he would tell people, "Now go and tell. Now go and tell. Now go and tell." But it feels like sometimes in the church we're in and the the day we're living in, people are behaving more like before he was crucified, where where he's saying, "Now tell no one," and we're really telling no one. But God said, "Go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell if you've been born again, if you've been saved, if you've received a miracle. Go now and tell." Amen. Amen. But it was just, I thought that was an interesting thing about after he did these miracles, he'd say, now tell no one. He didn't want to, uh, to make the speediness of his imminent death come faster than he knew the timing was. There's, he is all about timing. So, okay, I, I got to. He's asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? I think that's profound. I think it's amazing that um, they have all these ideas about who God is. He's the miracle worker. Some people will say, oh, he's a miracle worker. Some other people say he's the compassionate one, the tender one. Other people say he's the social justice one. I want to tell you that the church that Jesus is building is not a fragmented church based on one view of God. Oh, he's like Elijah. Oh, he's like John the Baptist. 
oh, he's like this. No, it's a church that can truly identify the living Jesus encompassing all that he is. You know, you'll go to some places and they're high on miracles, but not the word of God. Or you'll go to another place and they're into the word of God, but they don't believe in prophecy or those things. The church that Jesus builds will be an accurate representation of the fullness of who he is, not some fragmented representation. It'll be a church that can identify that's the living Jesus. There he is, and we know him, and he knows us. Even when Jesus was fully man and walked the earth, he was magnificent. People would say things like, no one ever spoke like him. Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. There was just such a mark on Jesus that there was no one like him. Even upon his death, the Roman centurion, after watching him and how he handled the death and the things he would say, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Something mighty impressive about this man, Jesus. So now the Lord is aside with the disciples and he begins to inquire, who do they say? I am. And it's kind of like a trick question because it really doesn't matter who they say that he is. What he's more concerned about is who do you say that I am? Because Peter had known Jesus and been with Jesus for about two and a half years. And up to that time, he had never been able to to acknowledge who Jesus was. And so in that moment, he sets up this question and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. It was like this blaze of glory entered Peter's heart. And it's like he had never seen before. And then he knew that he knew that this was Jesus, the son of the living God. He was not some miracle worker exclusively. He was not some social justice person. He was not some weeping prophet. He was not just a prophet. He was Jesus. And he preached a gospel that was so revolutionary and so radical. And if you catch a hold of it, if you get to know the person of Jesus, there is truly none like Jesus. I felt like I'm showing up this morning. It's Father's Day, and I'm going to talk about Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, who is mighty to save. When you know Jesus, you know that you know that you know. You can say, do you know the mayor of Chicago? No, you can honestly say, you do not know the mayor. People will say, I know the mayor. You don't know the mayor. And you know when you know Jesus. You don't say, I know about Jesus. You know when you know Jesus. Earlier, I mentioned how people would say about Jesus, no one ever spoke like this man. Well, he, because he was not just a bearer of the word, he was the word. He was the word incarnate. And people would listen and say, there's never been anything like this before. God's word became flesh and moved among men, the way, the truth, and the life. And the church that Jesus builds will not be a fragment of the life and ministry of Jesus. You know, our church is called The Rock the rock. And we are a church that's birthed out of a premise. And Pastor Jerry will say this is, this is a church where God gets to do what he wants to do. And he is building a church that won't be a fragmented view of God, but the whole picture of who he is. That's the type of church that Jesus builds, where it's not just, oh, the love of God flows in that place. Because I've been, yeah, I feel the love of God there. But there's power, there's authority, there's the word, there's miracles, there's 
prophecy. That's the kind of church that Jesus is building. It's a whole picture of who he is, not just piece together things. So we know we're saying, people are saying about Jesus, and he says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is so important because this is touching on identity. This is not some point in this story where Peter's like, okay, it's your point in the script, Peter. Chime in and say, okay, you are Jesus, the son of the living God. Okay, I got my part right. No, Jesus, in this situation, Peter is coming through with a real revelation of who Jesus is. This is a revelation that has hit many of you here this morning, a real revelation that there is none but Jesus. There is no one like him. The New Testament says in him dwells the fullness of Godhead bodily. He satisfies. He supplies joy. By him all things exist and all things were made by him and for him. All my wellsprings are found in thee. That's one of the things I will say to the Lord in worship. All of my wellsprings, everything flowing from me is found in you and you alone. All of my springs are in you. The more you know of Jesus, the more you know of yourself and your identity. One thing God is certain about is who he is. He doesn't need anything to prove his identity. And when you know Christ, you will discover who you are. You see people floating around as a pastor and a leader. It is the one thing I get talked to and asked the most often is, how do I know who I am? How do I know what God has for my life? People are perpetually trying to discern for what have I been created? What is my purpose? What is God doing in me? You know Christ and identify with him, the living God, and you will know your purpose. You will draw near to him and he will draw near to you and he will reveal to you and build your life. Praise God. The church Jesus is building knows who he is. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter says this in verse 17, after he reveals, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then uh, Jesus responds in verse 17. I love it. He says, um, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, or blessed could almost be happy. Happy are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Happy are you the day you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, and there is none one like him. Blessed are you, happy are you, when that day came upon you. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Like I said, two and a half years before this, Jesus and Peter had met for the first time. It is recorded in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, within the first two sentences that Peter ever heard Jesus speak. Jesus said, thou art Simon, thou shalt be called Peter. This is the day that came some years later when Jesus said to him, thou art Peter. And you know, some scholars say that the, the name Simon mead, means reed or like a, a, like a reed blowing in the wind. And we learned when, when Joel taught that Peter means rock. So from his name being changed from someone, Ephesians says that we are, t- for says we are tossed to and fro 
with every type of doctrine. And then he met Jesus. And Jesus renamed him Peter, the rock, that you would be solid, that you would no longer be tossed to and fro, not knowing who you are. You shall be called Peter. And this is that moment in Matthew when it talks about him being called Peter. That day, Peter came to the full awareness of who Jesus was. It dropped in him like a blaze of glory, the awareness of Jesus. He had been with Jesus a couple years, and on this day, he doubtlessly believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was certain who Jesus was, and he no longer was like that reed tossed to and fro in the wind. He became solid. You know Jesus. You get to know him as your Lord and Savior. He will make you like a living stone. In the book of Peter, he talks about that, that we are the little stones. He is the chief cornerstone on which he will build his church. And we are those living stones, those little stones that he uses to build his church, to come together and make something mighty and massive. The building of the church is God's idea. This is the first time he ever talks about how he will build his church. And he talks about building it with people. You and I, graces and gifts, are the living stones to support the chief cornerstone of the church, Jesus Christ. So when Peter changed from the reed to a rock, it was based on him possessing the awareness of who Jesus was. That was the shifting point for him. When our life, we have a mission at the rock, it's called building solid lives. Everything we do is centered around becoming solid in Christ. And here is a perfect example. He did not know Jesus as Messiah. And as soon as he said, Jesus, you are the son of God, you are the Christ. It was like Jesus said to him, thou art Peter. It's like then all of a sudden he could be called the rock, solid, because he knew who Jesus was. And we know people like that. Well, Jesus, who, who they say he is, but they don't know Christ like we know Christ. And our desire is that this church would be full of people who know Jesus. They don't say, oh, I met him, or like I met the mayor. Yeah, I met him once, but that you know that you know that he is the Messiah, that he's the living God, the true God. That is who Jesus builds his church on. Our mission here is building solid lives, and that's what we do all the time. Most people are trying to find out who they are and what they are. Our world caters to that. You can turn on the television any given day, and it will tell you how to find an identity, what to purchase, what to wear, how to look, and that will be your identity. But Peter knew when he knew Christ, he became solid, and who he was began to develop. You know, when Joel and I came to um, the Anaheim campus, We had been in ministry our whole married life. Joel was always paid on staff at a church. Associate pastor, college pastor. Then we came to The Rock, and we were at The Rock a period of time. And I remember our senior pastor, Jerry, calling us into the office and saying that he felt God had something for Joel that was in the marketplace. Like he just saw Joel going out into the marketplace. And thank God for 
freshly torn prey, as we talked about, spiritual leaders who will speak truth and seek life. And we will do that for you here. You stick around with us here. We believe God. He is already directing people's lives and speaking things and destinies. And he will use your leaders and people around you to usher you into the destiny for that which God created you. So we were so thankful. We were in the office there and he said, I feel like God has something for you. And if I'm being honest, um, when, when Joel was in the ministry, he studied a lot, and he, he's like the mayor. Everywhere we lived, every city, everyone knew Joel. He was helping old ladies across the street and, you know, hugging people and high-fiving. Everyone knew Joel. But there wasn't, he wasn't awake. You know what I'm saying? He knew Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But when he began to work in the marketplace, it's like, As we grew and became solid at the rock in the word of God, God sent Joel out into the business world. And I'm telling you, I had never seen anything what transpired on my husband. He had always thought, I'm going to work in the church. And this is what I did. And this is what I do. But when he got around people of faith and we were saturated in the atmosphere of the rock, God redirected his life, and he came alive. You guys see him now? He's always clapping. That was not him. That was not him before. But God began to do a work in him. Some of us sometimes don't even know who we truly are. We have been fashioned and formed like, well, I just do this, and I've always thought this. And and you get with the living God, and he will begin to shed your preconceived ideas about who you are, and he will rename you. He will say, you were Simon. You were the reed tossed to and fro, but now I call you Peter, the rock. And on you and people like you who know who they are, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to do something massive. This is the first time ever Jesus talks about building his church, and he's addressing it with a guy who finally said, you're the Messiah. I see this clearly. And on that, God will build his church, and God is going to build this church. He's already doing it. I marvel. I look around at the people and the graces and the gifts and the talents he is bringing around us. It is marvelous to me. And God is saying, I woke up one morning. I don't really feel nervous about what God is doing because I've seen something in my spirit that I can't unsee. The destiny over this church. So I'm really not moved by attendance or giving. Like some Pastor Jack Hayford, I read him saying that there was a season four months into the pastorate and he would just wake on Saturday nights, he would just be filled with so much worry going into church the next day. Well, will anyone come? Will, will they give? Do they want to be there? Are you going to do this, Lord? And the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord spoke to me this about three weeks ago. And that's why I had to bring this message. He said to me, just like he, Pastor Jack testified, he said, Anna, I will build my church. And I, I wasn't coming from a place of worry. It was more like, How are you going to do this? Because it's so massively amazing. And how do we stay in pace with you? That was more my concern. Not, are you going to do it? or But not worry. But he was just reminding me, I will build my church. It's not all the phone calls you make. It's not something you're doing in your effort. He's building you. He's building you as individuals. And then when you are built, you will come in as a living stone. And be part of the massive building of what God is doing to accomplish his, his, what he wants to do. And the reason he wants to do it, the bottom line is, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And the Lord gave me a specific word. He said, jailbreak. I shared that with you guys. He said, I have come and I'm bringing you guys to this region to break people out of captivity. That people have been held in captivity. And this church, part of its mandate is to open the doors wide and set people free. Amen? That God wants to do that. And I'm telling you, I... I don't make this stuff up. Like, I am a Costco mom, and I have enough things to do. Do you know what I mean? I have enough things to do to care for four kids and raise a family in the day and age we're living in. But I have heard a mandate from heaven that we are to lead this church into its greatest days and experience a move of God that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. So I'm really not moved by attendance. I'll have you know that. It really does not bother me one bit that every seat is full or that every seat is not full. You might think, oh, I wonder if they're disappointed. Or you might be sitting out there like the person that's Pastor Jack. Oh, there's only 57 people. We're so sorry. No, no, I am not worried about it at all. That you, We will say the same things. Packed house, limited. God is building his church. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's real. And he wants to do real things. And he wants to set people free. More than we want to see it happen, he wants to see it happen. And he's looking for a church that will let him do what he wants to do. See, I start hurting my back. It's like, (laughs) I need to wear like a brace or something. It's like, breathe. People are being made into the image of this world and its pursuits rather than the image of God. If there's anything God is certain of, it's who he is. Don't you want to spend time with people who know who they are? That's why I love being with Jesus. I feel so safe and good when I'm with Jesus. He knows who he is, and I'm being made into his image, so I know who I am. It's like the more time I spend with him, it's like, you know who you are. I'm being created and made more into your image, so I should know who I am and be able to live out who I was created to be. But people don't get to Jesus. They get to all these other things and spend all their time pursuing things that will tell them who they want to be and how they want to feel. Get to Jesus. Simon spent time with Jesus, and then he knew, that's the Messiah. There's a distinction. And then he knew who he was. Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Thou art Peter. It's the first time he says in, the, in history, I'm going to build my church. We won't go into it there, but was, there was a breakthrough in the awareness of a man. He says, thou art Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. There was a breakthrough in the awareness of a man. And that's what salvation does. But it doesn't stop there. But there's this awareness. It's like you can see the Messiah. You, you've been there in an altar call or you were there before you knew Christ from one day to the next, regenerated and said, I see, I see that he, Jesus is real. He's the living God. That is the, uh, the moment and the point that we're desiring to see for countless lives, that they would know the Messiah and that by coming to this church, they could see an accurate representation of the nature of God, that we wouldn't be a fragmented church that just highlights one area, but we would be a full display. It's like the wide panorama of who God is, that you could see, experience the love of God. You could see miracles happen in our midst. You could worship God in spirit and truth, that all those things, that's the type of church that Jesus will build. Amen.
Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone, and we are like Peter, called the little rocks, the living stones. We're the little rocks. When we come to know who Jesus is, then he begins to tell you who you are. When you become to walk with Jesus more, then he'll start to tell you, now this is who you are. He said, Peter, you're the rock. He told him that, and he'll say things to you about who you are, things you didn't even know yet he wants to tell you. He, Joel didn't even know he was a businessman. He just always thought, like, I went to Bible college, I, and he's amazing in the Word of God. But these two, Joel and Marco, Marco's our assistant in the ministry, and he also works with Joel in the business world. They'll walk into offices. He was telling me this week they... Joel went into an office building before them, and there was some girl there facing cancer. And before Marco even got in the door, Joel's got his hands on her. He says, can I pray over you? God needs people in the marketplace. And there's some of you that God will have you lay everything down to work in this church one day. You'll say, I'm forfeiting this because God has me to build this house, and he'll supply for you. But some people he'll call into the marketplace like Joel, and he is so satisfied He is so satisfied because as he's known Christ, he's discovered more of who he is. And then God gave him this verse. Because when you're in the ministry, sometimes you can feel like that um, it's it's noble to, to live on a small wage and to give your life for Christ and live that way. So Joel, when he went into the business world and God started to prosper him, he had a hard time. He just felt kind of like, how do I receive this, this supply of income? And God gave him that scripture. I don't remember where it is, but it said, essentially, it is the, the good pleasure of your heavenly father to see my son succeed. It gives me good pleasure to watch the prosperity of my children. And Joel said, I should get that tattooed on me. That, that was God speaking and saying, this is who you are. This is who you are, and I want you to enjoy who I created you to be. And he wants you to enjoy who he created you to be. So you got to turn off some television. you got to turn off some media that's telling you to be something and get to the throne room. We know him, then we see clearly. I am, I, you guys, I don't want to do teachings. I don't want to always be prepared. But I, when I spend time with Jesus, he's saying, Anna, I just want you to be my, I want you to share what's in my heart. And so I, I hum, I do, I, yes, Lord, I will do this because as I know you, I know you created me for this. I've been dodging this my whole life. And some of you have been dodging the very call and anointing and appointing on your life, running hard in the other direction. I did it. I've been running hard the wrong way for a long time. I was just afraid not to, to fail, but to succeed and have to sustain. That was one of my fears. Well, what if this happens? And what if in years and years, and it's still happening and you have to maintain it? And that's where I am with the Lord because he's showing me, yeah, that, that vision, yeah, that's me. And I'm going to do it. And yeah, you're going to have to sustain your 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 time with me. That's what you're going to have to sustain. Then you come out ablaze with his glory. You go in the, you've ever seen that? You go in the time with the Lord like a kitty cat and you come out like a lion. Like, yeah, sometimes I like get into the, my secret place and I'm just like burying stuff. And then I come out like these guys make fun of me in the backyard. Like, I will not stop. God, you're real. You're going to do this. I was driving to church for a meeting the other day. I had my hand out the sunroof and I'm screaming. And sometimes I'm quiet. Sometimes I am dear heavenly father. But most of the time I, he, I, I know the Messiah. 
I know that he's real and he wants to do so much. So I'm blazing my hand out the window and then our senior pastor, Pastor Jerry, we live by each other, comes driving up beside me. He's like, I'm just losing my mind on Orange Thorpe Avenue. But heaven is real, and we're going to be going there someday. But God has a plan for you. Man of God, God has a plan for you. He created you for something so mighty. And when we know the Messiah, we know ourselves. I drive in on Sundays here anticipating what God wants to do. And I've heard many times God echo in my heart, I will build my church, Anna, Joel, Pastor Dave, Nita. I am going to build my church. I take no personal responsibility. I sleep good at night. The only thing that wakes me up is people. I think about you. I took a walk with Pastor Kimberly this week, and I said, they have wrecked me. I love them. Their faces come before me. Um, I'm praying for you as the Spirit leads. I really love you. I love this church, and I love what he's building, and I want to partner with you for your destiny. I want you to feel like I have known for that which I was created, and you're placing yourself as a living stone grafted into the church at large that he wants to build. Greg, could you come and just as we close out? He is building us individually. He's building a people who know who they are in Christ. He is bringing us to get together to make a church and to see his life flow through us. He's giving us the keys to liberate captives. He's giving us the keys to liberate captives. We will be breaking people out of captivity all the time. You don't have to do it. It's what God is wanting to do. We have to live authentic before him, play our part in his kingdom, and he will do it in and through us. Finally, it says in this text, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church that God builds. And the gates of hell. Now, you can sometimes think the gates of hell. And tell me if you didn't think this. When I would see that, I would see, like, the church and then, like, people trying, like, the devil trying to get in the church. And I would think the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But really... It's that we, the church, would go out into utter darkness and confront the demonic and the forces that have held, and the gates of hell cannot stop the church that God builds. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the power and the authority that arises in the church that he builds. That we could go into dark places, come into situations, bring his marvelous light, and nothing will stop it. You could, we were at a service Wednesday night, cast demons being, I'm sorry if you don't think that, but this is not going to be a fragmented experience where we just know God on this one level. This is a church that God is building. These things are very real. We were at a service Wednesday night. We were seeing liberty to captives. I prayed for, we were all in a prayer area. I prayed for at least 20 people under strong oppression, facing really deep darkness in their life. We were laying hands on people walking out liberated, liberated. We're in a new day in the church that God is building. It is not going to be done just by us pushing it. God is with us. He is building this church. You can imagine hell charging us, but it's the church charging hell and its gates, notwithstanding the power that arises. So be encouraged church. This is what God is doing. He is building us as a people. He is renaming some of you. He is renaming some of you like he renamed Simon, the reed blowing in the wind, to Peter, the rock, 
Does anyone need a new name this morning? Does anyone want to be called by something other than they've been called? God is giving us a new name. He's putting his name on you for such a time as this because he's bringing you together to this church to build something that we're all going to be.